Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Film Code. My name is Phoenix Cloudin, and we are back for season Film Code, and things are going to be a little, little bit different <laughs> from here on out. Uh, if you don't know, there is a strike going on in the industry of Hollywood. Uh, the writers are on strike, and the actors are on strike. So the WGA and the uh, and the Screen Actors Guild are both on strike right now. Um, uh, they have laid out specific rules about how people are to go about um, focusing and, and uh, commenting on new content from Struck Studios um, it's a little bit muddy some people say it's okay some people say it's not we're not sure but it felt a little icky to just keep going as normal so uh, in honor of what would have been Barbenheimer week. And we are so sad to not talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer, but we came up with a great solution. And that is that we are still going to talk about a Greta Gerwig film and a Christopher Nolan film. And in that we bring you instead of Barbenheimer, Enter women. I mean, uh, women stellar. <laughs> Not stellar, stellar women. Phoenix. Stellar stellar women. women. There, there, there we go. Stellar there women. We, go. <laughs> so we are talking Little Women and Interstellar. One excellent Greta Gerwig film, and one is spoiler alert, excellent <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Nolan film. So uh, I am so excited that we get to talk about these films and. So excited! Who is joining us today? Of course, returning as always with the the man with the greatest hair known to the world, <laughs> Zach Sneed. Zach, how are you, sir? Phoenix, I'm doing fantastic. I just watched uh, Little Women uh, yesterday. I actually hadn't seen it, so I'm excited to talk about it. And uh, Interstellar, I've seen before, and I'm excited to talk about both films. It'll be interesting to compare the two. Yeah, so I'm ready to do that. <laughs> and we are so excited to welcome our first guest of season four. But you know him because he's been on quite a few times. And that's because we love him and he's awesome. And he always brings a great show with him. You know him from Nostalgia Cast. I know him as the man who uh, killed <laughs> Full Metal Jacket. And I will never forgive him. Uh, welcome back, Darren Lundberg. Darren, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm that's I'm, I'm never going to live that down, am I? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. And then we've talked many times. It's like watching the movie again. It's, it rose a little bit. So maybe if we had that time to do it, I would have changed my mind. But anyway, yeah, it's it's good to be back. I always, man, I always love joining you guys. I think. I didn't mention this before we started recording, but it's like usually when I come on, I'm like, oh, it's so great. This bit like with us, it's like we just started talking. It's like it's yeah. just, just the natural, <laughs> normal thing by now. So I appreciate the invite back, even though we aren't able to talk about the movies that we initially were supposed to. Talk about. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll, we'll discuss that offline uh, afterwards. But uh, 
So, but the we got a great substitution because, yeah. like I said, Greta Gerwig, director of solo director of three films, Lady Bird, Little Women, and Barbie. Um, it's three for three in my opinion. And then you have Christopher Nolan, who is I think has done about eleven or twelve films now, uh, somewhere around there. And um, I've seen about eight, and he's eight for eight <laughs> in my book. So like two very incredible directors who have delivered exceptional work in pretty much everything they've done. Um, we didn't uh, settle this, but where are we starting? Little Women or Interstellar? Which one do you guys want to go with? You might as well do Ladies first, I think. That works. Okay, dope. Little Women right. especially is fresh on Zach's mind, so all right. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sisters. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer. Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. I intend to make my own way in the world. No one makes their own way. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. But you are not married, aren't you? Well, that's because I'm rich. Joe, would you like to dance with me? I can't because I scorched my dress. And Meg told me to keep still so no one would see it. I have an idea of how we can manage. Joe is a lost cause. So you are your family's hope now. I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. We can leave right now. I'll sell stories. Joe. And you, you should be an actress and you should have a life on the stage. Just because my dreams are different than yours doesn't mean they're unimportant. I've hey. loved you ever since I've known you, Joe. I couldn't help it. It would be a disaster if we It wouldn't be a disaster. Okay? We'd be miserable. Joe, we'd be a perfect I saint. I can't. A new play written by Miss Joe Marsh. <laughs> Women, they have minds and they have souls, as well as just hearts. I want to be great or nothing. And they've got ambition and they've got talent, as well as just beauty. And I'm so sick of people saying that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. she marry? So Little Women stars uh, Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson, uh, Beth Scanlon, and I'm forgetting who plays the mom. Uh, Laura Dern. Laura Dern, yes, thank you. And uh, Meryl Streep also has a uh, slight cameo in this. And um, Timothy Chalamet, (laughs) of course, must have Timothy. And Bob Odenkirk has a small role in this as well. Hmm. Uh, So uh, this is the fourth, I believe, adaptation of Little Women. Uh, it's the Luis May Alcott. I think it's seven. I think they've got seven, actually. Seven? Jesus. 
So some yeah, of them got TV movies or something. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to will actually you on your own podcast, but you got no, like you're good. No, like, you're good. I, I had I had it written down. Please. You have like you have two <laughs> two silent movies that were made in 1917, 1918. You have one mm. the Cooker version made in 1933 with Catherine Hepburn. I have that one. Uh, 1949 right. had a, whoa, Elizabeth Taylor gently. And then you have the 1994 you had with Julian Armstrong, the one owner writer. And then there was a 2018 mm-hmm. that was like a Christian <laughs> low budget, uh, or independent version. And then you have this one. I only know that because watching little women for the first time, like before I sat down to watch a, a, a few years ago, I was like, what, why are we doing another little women? Like, what's the point? You know what I mean? It's right. already been done. So that's the only yeah. reason I know that there's that many. Yeah, it's crazy. And I only knew about like the, the four major motion ones, uh, like the, yeah. the 39, the 40 and the 94 ones. And then this one. And even I was like, is there anything new here? Like, like, yeah. like number one, it's based on the Louise May Alcott novel, which was written what, like 1914 or something <laughs> like 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 1968 yeah something ridiculously <laughs> old right and i'm like yeah and i'm like so like the source material is over 2000 years old and <laughs> now you know we've done seven adaptations and we're doing another one and i remember thinking i i, I distinctly remember when i went and saw this in theaters and like probably for like the first half hour, my brain was just like, "Why are we doing <laughs> like like really like like seriously? What is what is the point?" And it took me maybe about thirty minutes in before I was like, "This is excellent! Oh my god! And I'm so glad we have this movie!" <laughs> and like, I I don't know, Darren, if you've seen the previous versions, um, but this was the first time I had seen any version of of the little women story so uh for me i'm a little bit biased probably recency bias but <laughs> is this not the best version of it or 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 is is there some difference in the others i think they all have their merits i've only seen the um i've seen that the the 33 one obviously and i've seen the 94 one which is very very charming very very good but mm-hmm. those are they're mostly just straightforward adaptations of the book, which is fine. And then you have the mm-hmm. acting. Cause I think the thing is, even though, like you said, it's 2000 years old, it's a universal story and it just, it works. Like every time they do it, it just, it's, you latch onto the characters, you latch onto the arcs. It's just very, like I said, it's universal. So it works. I just think that, uh, this, and it blew my mind and we'll talk about it. It's like, why hasn't anybody joined the two timelines like this and overlapped them? <laughs> Because it just mm. brings out so much more meaning. And I was like, whoa, like, why have we gone like all these, what, like over a century? <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over a century, 150, 150 something years. And nobody's tried this before. So I think the way that Gerwig did it, and it's the same thing. Like, I like Lady Bird. And so walking into little, I only saw this because, oh, she was an interesting director. She had a good first mm-hmm. feature, solo feature. And so that's why I watched this one. But yeah, it's like some of the things that she does are just, why hasn't anybody done this? So I, I would actually agree. I just, I love the modern feel of this movie. And I think out of all the ones I've seen, this is the one that I enjoy. And I've seen the most. <laughs> this is my fourth time watching it. Nice. Yeah. So. Zach, you saw this for the very first time. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of periodicals usually. They're not my favorite movies to watch. 
So going into this for the, like, before I even could watch it and just seeing what it was, I was like, oh, I hope this is good. Like, because I just, some of them have, like, um, a very dialogue-driven movie that's not, doesn't have a lot of, like, surprises in the movie, and that's fine, but because some of them are told in, like, old English, I was worried that this would kind of be that way, and... I'm just not personally like a huge fan of those kind of movies, but I loved it because this was something you could follow. It wasn't any old English. It's like, okay, what are they, what are we talking about? Like, you know, I, cause sometimes for me that bores me and I'm like, okay, we get it. You're, you live in the past. I get it. Like, (laughs) so, um, it was nice. It was refreshing to see a movie like this with the costume design and everything have, like you guys said, like a modern twist and it was just excellent. I mean, the act, the acting was so on point, like it's just a stacked cast and it was amazing. I didn't realize uh, until like I started watching, I was like, "Oh wow, that's Florence Pugh. Oh wow, that's Timothy Chalamet. Like, right. <laughs> like, oh wow, they have a lot of people in here, and Emma Watson, and you know." So after getting in, kind of like you said, like the first fifteen thirty minutes of it, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm invested in this movie." So it was, uh, it was awesome. I loved every second of it. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Um... I distinctly remember, and I think I wrote this in my review uh, once I once I came out of it, that um, I I had said like like right off the bat, uh, like I didn't I was so in, like engrossed in the idea of like I don't understand why we're doing this that it was really kind of just bogging me down and distracting me, and yeah, like literally right when it got to like the 30 minute mark. And I think what, what Darren pointed out is like the crisscrossing of the timelines. Um, that just brought such an interesting element to this story that I was like, Oh, I, I, I see what we're going for here. You know what I'm saying? It's yes. It's a very straightforward novel, uh, about these four sisters and, and like, you know, this time period and whatnot. But the, the the way the story is told and the way that it's executed is so, so nice. And I remember, like, when I came out of the theater the first time, I was like, that was definitely one of the best movies of the year. I was like, it's a solid four and a half. No question about it, right? And then I rewatched it again at home, probably, like, several months after the Oscars. And I remember, like, and I was just like, wait a second. This is sublime well like like, this is really 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 well done um you're talking about like just the 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 concept right the the concept to do it in a way like this and the execution brilliant and you mentioned the costume design jacqueline duran who's the costume designer i mean expert level i guess is really like the only way i can describe it like genuinely genuinely fantastic i do believe she was nominated i'm not sure if she won or not for the costume design but just absolutely absolutely excellent um yeah i i i loved this movie (laughs) like genuinely loved this movie and was very happy with uh how it how it went 
and it did win for costume design. So yes, okay. <laughs> good job, Jacqueline Dura. Well, it's always strange. Like I, I've said this before on Twitter. It's like, why is it that the period dramas are always the ones nominated for costume? Because it's like all you're doing is you're <laughs> you're taking stuff that you've seen before and you're just kind of you know, changing. And then the stuff from the future stuff never gets nominated, which takes a lot more imagination because you're creating it from scratch. But just I think like if you like costume design for if you don't do a good job, that's not good. You know what I mean? It's like Mary got all this. Yeah, all this. Pro- but I think that they modernized the clothes enough that it felt um, it didn't feel like stodgy and, and uh, you know, with a, a layer of like uh, mold on it or something like that. You know what I mean? It felt very <laughs> fresh. Um, and it's it, again, it ties in with that modern feel of the actual movie. Yeah. And the cinematography in this movie was based. Like, yeah. there's certain yeah. shots where, like, especially like the wide landscape shots, where I was just like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> like, 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 I don't, I don't remember who was the cinematographer on this. Probably someone excellent. Um, <laughs> Looking but, at it, yeah, I think his name is uh, Yorick Lisso. I think he's a French cinematographer, but yeah. See, well, I mean, he's got a, he's got a great sensibility. Uh, then, because that that definitely came through, in just the styles, the the way that it's shot, like no other Little Women. I've not seen like clips of each each one of these. No other Little Women version has made me go, oh, I have to see that. But just based on how it's how it looks, this is the first one where I was like, just based on how it looks, I gotta see that. And I and I think just I think she did an amazing job. And like. Before this movie, my only reference, and this is sad, my only reference for Little Women was an episode of Friends. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, there's, there's like an episode where uh, Joey is reading the novel and, yep. and Rachel has already read it. And she's like, look, there's a moment where you're going to have to put the book in the freezer. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Like, why would you put the, what? And yeah. In the movie, is because Beth gets sick, and and you want to keep her, you know, safe for a while. So he puts the book in the freezer, and like I remember the scene because he's like, like he's reading it and he's sad. And she's like, Beth just got sick, didn't she? He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, you want to put the book in the freezer? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, doesn't doesn't he make her read The Shining because she hadn't read it before? So they were yeah. like swapping. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> And I was just like, bro, that's that's so funny. So like, when it got to that point, I was like, oh, so this is why he was upset. And I was like, okay, but I'm like, you know, and I love Beth Scanlon. Like Beth Scanlon is such an incredibly talented actress, and she's been in a bunch of stuff that I like, probably low like indie stuff that I don't know if a lot of people have seen, but she's such an intelligent, uh, uh, ta- talented actress. And, you know, I came into this and I'm like, oh, I'm going to love Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> I'm going to love Saoirse Ronan. I'm going to love Timothy Chalamet. Those are going to be the, the top two for me. And it ended up being Florence Pugh and Beth Scanlon. <laughs> you know, Eliza Scanlon? Sorry, Eliza Scanlon. Yeah, yeah. Her name is Beth in the book. Oh, Jesus like, your, like the movie itself, you're melding reality yeah. with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, Eliza Scanlon. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I got to redo this whole thing. <laughs> Welcome to Film Code. <laughs> oh, man. So, <laughs> yes, Eliza Scanlon. Uh, 
but yeah, those two ended up being my favorite characters in this movie. Uh, for, cause they each have very, very impactful scenes, uh, that, that really kind of, kind of spoke to me. Zach, you, <laughs> off camera, you mentioned, uh, this movie also got to you emotionally. What, what did yes. it for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely, uh, Beth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Eliza hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah. Eliza, but Beth in the movie. Is what got me. Yeah. So yeah, I think that really got to me because, um, well, I just got done seeing my sisters for a week in Orlando and spending time with them. Nice. And they flew in from London, so I took them to Universal. That's awesome. And I have a sister who's like 12 years younger than me. And so she's like my child, basically, to mm. me, like, because she's so much younger. Mm-hmm. So um, that got to me really emotionally because I just got done seeing my sisters and then knowing like what it's like to like imagining losing mm-hmm. your sibling like that, your sister, someone you love, especially Joe, so much older, like. Mm-hmm. I, that like hit home for me and I was like, Oh my God. Like I was like a puddle. Like, I was like Oh, Beth can't die. And I knew I was like, as soon as she, you know, cause they cut back to when she had scarlet fever and then this right. time she's sick. So this time she was sick. I was like, she's not going to be at the table. Is she? And then I, I saw, I was like, yeah, she's not at the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm- this is one of those movies where I'm so glad that I go to the movies by myself. <laughs> like, yeah, like the first time when she like recovers and and Joe sees her at the table, and I'm like, you you every if you could put like a speaker up to my heart, you would have heard how much it swelled. You know what I'm saying? It would have literally been like like a Hans Zimmer score. You'd been like, wow, like like this dude is putting it out there. Like I was so happy. And then later, when we think the same things that happened, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, oh, oh, it tore me up. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm so glad I was by myself. So that would have been like, that would, that would have been an embarrassing first date. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that's what definitely hit home for me. And then, I thought it was so. I love that they bring up in the beginning the storyline of how Joe uh, basically turns down Lori's proposal, and you're like, "Oh, what happened?" And then you like kind of go through and see what happened. I love how they did that. So you're like wondering the whole time, okay, when, like, where in here does it all like go wrong? Because mm-hmm. the contrast they use in the color in the scenes, like, yeah. are so different. Like the the past is so bright and cheery. And then when you come back to present day, it's dark. Like the, mm-hmm. the the way that they did the cinematography, like it's gray, it's dark, it's bleak. Like, so you're like, okay, what what went wrong for this <laughs> to happen? Like, so I like that they kind of go back and forth, like you guys are saying, and keep you like on your toes. Like, okay, where's it? Where's it all fall apart? So. Yeah. It's interesting if if you read the um, I think is either the commentary <clears throat> excuse me or something like that or they did an interview with Gerwig where she's talking about the whole point of like mixing the timelines <clears throat> like she said that um, so in a movie it's, it's 
it kind of blew my mind in the movie when you see a couple together like when you see because you know that uh, well spoilers obviously when joe and laurie don't end it together if you see them together at the very first and then all of a sudden they introduce different characters that end up being their love interests it, it's kind of jarring because that's not what Ooh. the language of the story and the visuals are telling you so when you see amy with laurie first and then you see um joe with professor bear first that's setting you up for it. It's your, your brain kind of eases into that a lot easier. So, Oh, they're ending up together. It feels natural as opposed to where did this other stupid character come from? That's interrupting my romance, right? My, (laughs) uh, you know, the, the story that I wrote in my, my canon, right? So it's interesting. Again, this whole thing, the way that she just melds these timelines, it just gives you a whole new perspective of this movie that I'm like, why did it take? this many years for somebody to come to this conclusion of things, right? Maybe Especially with, yeah, with Beth being sick and with her dying, if you have that in the way that the book is written, it's like, oh, she's sick, and then she gets sick again. And so it's just right. weird. But having them overlap each other was so interesting. And just like you said, Zach, how she matches the exact same camera shots, except mm. the only thing that's different is the color scheme. Instead of it being orange and warm, now it's cold and blue. So when she comes downstairs and she just finds uh, Marmee just, just sobbing, it's like it breaks your heart because you've seen just barely the happiness of her coming through that, right? It's just one of, I, I have notes of all these ways that they juxtapose things. It's like, wow, like, why hasn't anybody thought of this before? Why, why is it this? And that's what's so great about this movie and so great about Gerwig's mind is that she's able, she knows that this is the, the whatever, the iteration of this story. And she knows how am I going to make this resonate with people that already know this story by heart. And that's what makes this feel, I think, so fresh and so new. And obviously, I, I want to talk about a lot more of those things. But yeah, just that whole thing with Beth, I just, I, I don't know, I just I like that. It's just so well done and so well put together. I, I distinctly remember, and and I don't, I know that we know Twitter is a cesspool, but <laughs> I distinctly remember. X. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, Twitter X or you know, <laughs> X, Twitter, Twitter X. Twitter, yeah, whatever it's called now. Um, whatever. But I just, I distinctly remember when uh, this movie was having its its awards run, and the biggest complaint on there was the color grading, like oh people gosh. who just couldn't understand the color grading and why why the colors. I was like is this a real complaint? <laughs> like, like I was genuinely, I'm like, I know there are some brain dead takes on Twitter, but <laughs> my God, like I was seriously like, are y'all serious? Like, you re- like, like really, like you don't understand. You can't like, they were, the, the, the complaint was that they couldn't tell <laughs> the past from the present. I was like, <laughs> I think they did wow. every year they they release like an article of they interview like an Oscar voter or an Oscar member about what they think about the nominations and mm-hmm. I think the one that they interviewed for Little Women he was like I couldn't make sense of the two timelines like it was hard to follow mm-hmm. and I'm like <laughs> first of all we know that X is a well X now is going to be the new cesspool but do you guys <laughs> think it has to do with the fact that this is directed by a woman from a novel by a woman about women. And that's why some, <laughs> uh, some viewers watch this and they're just blinded to things. Like if it was a male director about male characters, they, it would have been easier for them to follow. I just don't understand this. I don't, I don't know the logic behind it. Cause it was ju- to me, it was just the most idiotic complaint I'd, I'd ever heard. And I'm like, and I'm like, you're not watching I'm like, the movie. 
Right. I'm sitting over here because I'm like, I could follow it. And mind you, I have not watched a single version of the Little Women other stories. I've not read the book. I knew nothing about this story. So I'm like, like outside of a friend's episode. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how y'all couldn't follow this simply. And like, normally I go see a movie. If I love it, I go see a movie about two, three times. Right. Mm. This I literally only saw once. And I was like, you couldn't follow this. <laughs> like, like yeah. what's, what's wrong guys? Like some, something's wrong with your brains here. Uh, so yeah, it, it and it bothered me because I think that ultimately hurt the movie's chances at a number of options. Granted, I think this came out in 2019, so it had a rough year. <laughs> like, like you want to talk about probably what the best year ever for for every movie that came out. This was going to have an t- uphill uphill battle no matter what because it was it was contending with. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and mm. Joker and The Irishman and, <laughs> you know, a bunch of other stuff where it was like, OK, yeah, it's going to be tough. But it was still, I think, one of the one of the best movies of the year. But, yeah, that complaint just always bothered me. I just didn't understand where the where the confusion was. <laughs> well, the, the problem with it, too, is you're limiting yourself. I think the, the problem with a lot of people, especially on Twitter, is you have to. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a dude. Right. I didn't have sisters growing up like Zach or, you know, so but you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. I don't understand this idea that I I can't identify with these people because they're not me. Right. That's not I don't want to go watch a movie about me. I know me like I want to see other experiences. You know what I mean? So I don't understand this idea of, oh, I can't put myself in the shoes of these women and this experience. It's like, well, you should at least have an understanding or an empathy for what they're going through. Like, why are you closing yourself off? And it's, it's so stupid that I'm saying this in 2023 like we're still struggling with stuff like that but yeah it's like I go to see movies like one of the arguments for the movie that one of the movies we were going to talk about was like oh like I understand that nuclear war is terrible like what is this teaching me I'm like that what are you watching the movie for like like how would you not you know what I mean so it's like I don't when you limit yourself to what I really loved about the color scheme, and I don't know if you guys, for me anyway, this is what I thought is, so the past is all rosy and orange and warm. Mm. The, the, the the present is all cold. And the way that the, the book is written, it was originally split, I think, into two volumes. And the first volume is Little Women. And the second volume that she wrote later is, is called Good Wives, where it's like the takes the opposite perspective of what happens after they get married. Because I think that second volume or second part opens with Meg getting married. And so it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, Into the Woods kind of did that. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie or that play where it has like the first half is all the fairy tale stuff and it's all great. And then the second half, it all takes that and turns it to, to shit. And then it's, 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 it awakens your mind. But for Into the Woods, it's like, why are we doing this? Like the fairy tales are like, it doesn't have, I don't need that perspective. Oh, life isn't hunky dory. That's not what you read a fairy tale for. But I like that Alcott wrote this as here's the rosy stuff, but here's the reality of what you actually have to go through when you're an adult, once you've left all the childhood stuff behind. Right. But what I really picked up on is when the movie ends with, and again, jumping forward with Joe watching her book get made. And then it cuts to the warm color scheme of their life. Now of them walking through the fields and she's married to bear. And you see, uh, you know, Lori and, and Amy with kids. Why is that shot in the warm glow? Right. That's not the past. And 
to me, I thought that, oh, she's writing this from a perspective of that's her past, right? So she's writing it kind of as a fairy tale. But then you have the warm fairy tale color scheme of that ending. I personally don't take that ending of the everybody happily married. I don't take that as the real ending. I take that as what she imagines or the, the book. Uh, yeah, and where the book right? is. Yeah. Right. And so just the way the color scheme is all of a sudden switches and you like it, but you don't notice that because when you're watching it as a regular lizard brain, you're just cool. kind of like, Oh, that's nice. The happy ending. I got what I deserve. And it's like, well, the, her getting her book is the ending. And ending. I think <laughs> the happy stuff is just what she rewrote to appease mm-hmm. the publisher, right? Dashwood. And so it's just an interesting, that's what takes the movie for me, uh, for anything else from, this is a great adaptation to maybe masterpiece level because it's making you rethink everything that you've watched. I don't like using that word because I don't think masterpiece is something you can apply to something in maybe like 10 years because you have to gauge mm. how it impacted everything. But yeah, like this, this movie is on a different level from the color scheme and from the writing. That's what I'm talking about. When you limit yourself and you don't see the different color schemes, you're closing yourself off from a lot of joys that this movie has. And that's, that's what I, that's what's frustrating for something like this. Excellent. Yeah. Well said. I agree with all that. (laughs) Um, I do want to point out some specific things though, that, that really just, just, I think of every time I think of this movie. Um, so, uh, what's her name? Oh God. Florence Pugh's character. What's her name? Amy, Amy, Amy. when Amy burns Joe's story. (laughs) Oh, I was like, my blood boil, bro. Like, I was like, I mean, I get it. I get like that, that sibling jealousy, that sibling rivalry yeah. where you're like, you know, you have something that I want or yada, yada, or, you know, we're so similar that it, it makes us like hate each other. But like, she did the most unimaginably hurtful thing. And like, and then you see in the next scene when like Joe's devastated, like, she realizes like, okay, yeah, that was too far. Like that's, that's something that is so deeply personal to her. Like for you to do that, like that's, yeah, you know, that's not cool. But then that gets compounded on by when Amy's trying to skate with Joe and Lori and she ends up falling in the ice. And I'm like, I know like me personally as a writer too, like I was like, I know like how devastated I would be if someone burned my stories. But if I, if I also saw my sister fall in the ice, I'm like, no, <laughs> like you don't do that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, save my sister. Like, that 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 has to happen. So, like, those two scenes really, um, I, I always think of because they're just so impactful on, on how I uh, think how we see, like, human relationships, and especially among siblings, especially if you're, like, close in age. But the other scene is, of course, Amy's monologue when she talks about marriage and that is the scene I believe wholeheartedly is the scene that earned Florence Pugh her Oscar nomination because <laughs> it's amazing and she like details like and especially because what this story takes place in what the 1800s or something like that so around that time so like everything she's saying about marriage at that time is true and I just I thought that was just hard hitting and beautiful and really spits in the face of what a lot of people deem of romance 
when it comes to marriage is like, no, marriage is a proposition. <laughs> like, it is a business contract, essentially. And it, at that time, you could argue women got really the shit in of that contract. <laughs> like, like, got, women got the better. shit end of a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? It yeah. got a little bit better, but like, yeah, like, for the most part, they get the shit in of, of that contract, which I think is interesting. <laughs> but And I thought it was just a great juxtaposition, especially because you have a movie in 2019 talking about marriage that was set in the 1800s. And you still see that hmm, some of those things are, are still kind of there and still similar. Yeah. Well, sorry to keep drowning Zach out, <laughs> but that, that was one of the things it's like, this is so it's, it's told the same, you know, marriage is a economic proposition is what she says. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like a lot of these, um, limits that are put on women or people of color or uh, LAGPTQ, all all these things, everybody's always going to have limits put on them. Stuff that they're allowed to do, stuff that they're not allowed to do, which is not fair. It's like everybody's human. You should just be able to do, you know, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's so sad that that idea still applies today. Like we still, we've learned our lesson. We've let women, you know, from, from back then, we've let them do a lot more things and have them like own things and have them have a lot more responsibility. But now we're also limiting different people. So we've learned (laughs) one lesson, but we keep applying that stupid, same (laughs) shitty lesson to other people. What? Like I don't. And that's another thing. That's why I think this movie is universal because those themes still play so strong today you just have to you just have to be able to see yourself in these you know sorry in these little women you have to be able to see yourself (laughs) in these characters and it still applies to you even though you don't look like that or sound like that you know what i mean it's it's i don't know it's just it's so sad that we're still having this conversation today yeah yeah and uh going back to your point phoenix about the siblings and Mm. uh amy burning the book so for me i kind of sided with amy a little bit Uh, I'm a little, little, you know me, Phoenix. I I like things a little darker. So, uh, so, uh, you know, when she's burning the book, I'm like, yeah, burn the book. And then, uh, and then she got upset after and I was like, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing. I missed it during your dead reckoning conversation. Zach, was there a point where you said you thought Tom Cruise needed to die? (laughs) No, no, no. All right. <laughs> I thought I thought it was in the whole episode, but I wasn't sure. Anyway, <laughs> no, that was uh, that was Top Gun Maverick. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I want yeah, I want Tom Cruise to die in that movie. That's right. I remember now. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing, too, about watching The Sisters is I was watching, my wife had seen it before, but I, and we were watching it with my daughter who'd seen it for the first time. But I, I, and he doesn't have any sisters. So I, I looked over to Elizabeth and I said, is this how you're, because when the sisters are all getting along, it's so great because it feels like they're a unit. And it feels like you get to know each of those characters because of how they are together and their bond together. It's so, it's weird. Again, tying it in with Mission Impossible, I feel like you learn more about Ethan Hunt by, the, his interactions with other people 
Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with this one. Like they feel like a unit. They're a part of each other. So again, when they lose Beth, it's like losing a limb or it's losing a part of themselves. Right. But when I asked Elizabeth, I'm like this, this fun that they're having together and the way that they kind of punch each other and, you know, all the mischief they get, mm-hmm. is that something that you and your sisters went through? And she's like, no, not really. And then when they were yeah. fighting, she was like, yeah, that's more like my, <laughs> it wasn't my sister. So it's, it's still very universal. And there's a lot of things to, uh, you know, identify with. In there. So, yeah. Anyway, it, it, but yeah, her, her burning the pages. I Phoenix. I was like, you, I was like, no, like, yeah. you, like that's good. But I also see like, she's young. She's petulant. I right. read here like Florence Pugh is so fun playing petulant and sniveling and, and, immature you know what i mean I and it's, it oh and that's such a great point because like yeah we get that contrast and like again she earned her, her oscar nomination yeah. because she played young and, and immature and petulant and then you get this mature and vivacious and like self-aware woman towards the end and it's like Oh, it's music. <laughs> like, like it's so well done. And like the scene when, when Lori confesses, you know, his love for Amy and she breaks down and she's like, no, like, don't tell me you want me now when I've wanted you my whole life. You know, <laughs> like, like yeah. it's like such a brilliant, brilliant display of maturity and immaturity all in one performance. Ah, I love I love Florence Pugh. So I'm sorry, um, but yeah, I thought she did incredible here, incredible here, and um, yeah, those those are the two that stand out to me is is Eliza and and Florence Pugh. I just think they did such a fantastic job with what they were given. I. <sighs> All the performances in this are so. I, I'm going to mention Sersha. Is that Sersha Ronan, right? Sersha. So, yeah. <laughs> she's otherworldly. Yes. Like the way she just does certain. She has certain ticks or certain way that she looks at each other or a cock of her head, and it's like she's she's got a chemistry with the camera that's unreal, right? And she's just so natural. And I don't know was she nominated? Did she get a nomination for this? Okay. Yeah, okay. Did. Good. Good, good. And so, and Pew's great. And then Emma Watson did a fine job. I just don't think she had as much of a showy role. Like she had more of a, you know, Emma she was, she's great. She was more of like a plot driven role. Yeah. yeah, but she played it well. And then yeah. you obviously had Eliza, who's just the quiet kind of grace. And so mm-hmm. you feel it too when something's lost, right? Again, something's lost because you feel it from the other sisters. You feel it from the mom. Uh, Laura Dern does a great job. Uh, Chris Cooper has just, I, I don't know if it was because of the way, but I just kept feeling that Chris Cooper was, even though I've read the book and seen the other, it's like in movies today, people are going to expect that character to turn out to be some kind of creep. Right. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't like, I love that. He just sees something in Beth. And it's so when she's playing the piano and he comes and he sits down on the stairs and you're like, he can just, there's a presence in that house that he's feeling that he hasn't felt. in I don't know how long And Beth brings that to him. And at the end, when Beth dies and Joe has that conversation with him outside, it's like, Oh man, he's just lost his daughter all over again. Like how, heartbreaking is that for him and he's a part of that family and they, they bond and it's, so yeah Chris Cooper's great uh, Odenkirk shows up he's great like it's just uh, Meryl Streep I like the scene where it's <laughs> any scene where it's uh, uh, Ronan and Streep together I'm like this is like an act off <laughs> you, know, you, got, you got these two great actresses who are just in a scene together and then later you put Pew in with her and she's there's just a grace 
you know, you're, you're in with Meryl Streep and you're handling yourself that well. It's just, it, that takes a, a lot of power for yourself as an actress, I think. Yeah. So they all, they all do great. This movie is one of the notes I had is like, I don't know how, but Gerwig is striking a perfect tone and a perfect balance for every scene in here. It's just so perfectly pitched. There is never a wrong note in this movie. And that is incredible for me. And I think it has to do with the fact that it's a female director. Like, I don't know if a male mm-hmm. director would have gotten a lot of the stuff and had the attention paid to certain character ticks or story beats or I things mean, like that. That yeah. it has. I think that's easy hands down because I mean, yeah, no question about it. Gerwig is probably the reason. No, sorry. Is undoubtedly the reason why this movie is as good as it is. Because, yeah, the female director of it all, absolutely. Um, and, and it just, it comes through in every scene. In, in just the, in the way that it's written, in the way that it's styled, in the way that it's shown. It is, it, it is the feminine touch. And I think the others were also done by women. Maybe not all of them, but like, but there is something distinct about Gerwig's style that really comes through. And it's been true for all, all of her movies that she, she has a unique style that definitely brims forth in, in what she does. It's, it's really, strange. They have the only this one and the last one. I don't know about the independent one. <laughs> Because I just don't, I haven't bothered looking it up. But like the the first few were just made by men. Again, it's it's weird that you have a story about women. And Cougars was like known as a women's director. Like if he, he made women's yeah. pictures, right? So he knows yeah. and did a good job. But like, yeah, you need. It's weird that just these last two major ones have been directed by females. I was gonna say I also like the part where uh, Frederick plays the piano and they have that touching moment as a family like all gathered around when he goes to play it too I thought that was super cool where they're like yeah please play it like we want to hear the piano I forgot about the piano scene dude I totally forgotten about that we know that that's real too because it takes place in the cold blue color scheme right he brings some warmth to that cold palette I think Oh, I totally forgotten about that scene. Yeah. I, I, all right. All right. We got to move on. So final ratings. <laughs> uh, Zach, what did you give Little Women? I gave it five stars out of five. I'm right. Right now, five stars. Absolutely with you. I love this movie. Darren, what did you think? Well, again, I think we talked before about I can't just give five automatically to something, but having seen this four times, having it settled for maybe four years, it's def- I can't find a fault in it. Why would I give it lower than a five, right? I just think it's yeah. just, and we talked about, I just, the last thing I want to mention is the cinematography. And yeah, it's got great shots, right? But again, every period movie is going to be able to do that. Like you're not like doing anything different that hasn't been done before. What I really liked is the way that the cinematography again is used to juxtapose the past and the present. There are shots of, there's a shot of uh, Amy when she's recovered from the lake. And then it cuts to a shot of Beth in bed from the opposite angle to kind of come back. There's a shot where um, Amy is talking with um, Aunt Marge and she walks out of the room and then it cuts and it shows her walking into the room to kind of juxtapose. So that cinematography and I like those little juxtapose. So other than the gorgeous shots, I like that it also had these little intimate kind of cinematography moments. And again, that's Gerwig kind of approving that. And it's, that's why it's a, 
It has to be a five. I can't give it lower. I don't have any problems with it. And it is, it feels very modern. It feels very justified. And yeah, this, <laughs> I think people didn't see this movie because they thought, oh, this is whatever the upteenth iteration of this movie. But mm-hmm. this makes it, every choice in here makes it a worthwhile redo so, of the story. Something, something else that made me up my four and a half from it is, uh, the second time I watched it with my sister and my sister is not a big movie person. She's not a big movie buff. You know what I'm saying? A lot of stuff will go over her head. And by the end of it, she was like, I love that movie. <laughs> like it, it's, she really, really loved it. So like for me, if you have a movie that grabs someone that's not even, you know, a part of this world, I think you've done something truly exceptional. So yeah, I think five stars is, is perfectly fitting for this movie. Yeah. All right. So we talked about cinematography and costume design with little women. <laughs> now let's shift to talking about some acting, some editing and some damn good score. as <laughs> We talk about interstellar. Late cool. Yeah, we had a flat. It's an Indian surveillance drone. Solar cells power an entire farm. What'd you do, Murph? Oh, she didn't do nothing. Murphy's law. You're a well-educated man, Coop. And a trained pilot. And an engineer. The world doesn't need any more engineers. We didn't run out of planes and television sets. We ran out of food. Something that's bad. Oh, we didn't. Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law doesn't mean that something bad will happen. It means that whatever can happen will happen. We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Now you need to tell me what your plan is to save the world. We're not meant to save the world. We're meant to leave it. And this is the mission we were trained for. I've got kids, Professor. Get out there and save them. I have no idea when you're coming back. When we when we discussed that these were going to be the movies that we talked about, you had yeah. mentioned that you were hmm, little 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 warm on Interstellar. Probably not your favorite Nolan movie. Why is that? 
<laughs> well, I don't want to. First of all, I don't understand the Nolan hate. It, it seems mm. like I don't know if you know who Jeff Gordon is, but I call it the Jeff Gordon syndrome, where he became this great NASCAR driver that came out of nowhere. Everybody right. loved him. And then there was a certain point where it was like, OK, dude, you're too popular now. We hate you. And they turned on him. And it was like, that's weird, man. That's fandom is just strange. And I think it's the same with Nolan. I think everybody was so in his corner, especially after Dark Knight, especially after in Inception. And then there was just a moment. Maybe it was the Dark Knight Rises where people were like, oh, yeah, this guy sucks. Like, whoa, we hate this guy. Like, what, what and so he's like, guys, yeah. So I'm not a hater like that. I think that every filmmaker has going to, is going to have a dud, um, in, in his filmography. There's no filmmaker who's untouchable. So I'm not that guy that's going to be like, Oh, Christopher Nolan is untouchable. I'm not that guy that's going to be like, Oh, Christopher Nolan sucks. I think Nolan is the filmmaker right now that takes these grand metaphysical, kind of poetic stories and gives them to you in blockbuster form. And even mm. though he's not perfect at it, that guys, you got to shut up about that stuff. Cause he's other like, like Ronan is he's otherworldly about his direction that he's able to bring you these things. No other director is giving you scope like, like Nolan is right on, on a level mm. that you're able to identify with as a human being. Right. I think he's great at that, even though he's not the, so with interstellar, the ambition of it, the special effects of it, which we'll talk about, the score of it, some of the emotions in it. Again, I don't understand why people say Nolan is an emotionless director, because there's a part in this movie where I was sobbing in the theater. But this is also the movie where when Anne Hathaway is giving her monologue about love, and I was literally in the theater, I think I checked out for a good 20 minutes. So I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> like, what is this? I think it went the opposite way. Like Nolan was like being accused of being emotionless. And so he added this monologue that was like, it had the complete opposite effect. Where it was like, whoa, dude, like, why are you shoving sugar down my mouth? Like, I can't. And you compare it with the scene I was talking about where you have McConaughey just sobbing because he's missed decades of mm -hmm. his kid's life and that is done without him saying I can't believe I've missed decades of your life right, and this is terrible. Right. he doesn't say that he just shows you it as opposed to love can be seen love can be bolder <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> like what is this and in a movie that's about metaphysics and, and is so good at showing you things so and again I, I this is not the weakest Nolan movie um, I think the one he made before Oppenheimer is the weakest one in my book but I, I just think that this is the first one where I was like, okay, maybe you're not that great, but you're so good at the ambition. I just think that that part is a little bit silly. Um, I, I don't know. It's, that's, that's the only thing. I, I didn't mean to, to say that this movie is terrible because a lot of it is great. I just think that on this grand scale, having that one model, like it really kind of took me out of the movie for a little bit. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, Zach, what about you? What did you think of Interstellar? Uh, so I've only seen it once. It, it has been a while since I've seen it. Um, but I do remember most of it, I would like to say. Um, I've just seen so many movies since then. But uh, I really did enjoy it. Um, when I uh, was watching it, I thought it was really well done. There was a lot of twists and turns I was not expecting. I was not expecting the ending. <laughs> I don't think anyone does with that film. So I really enjoyed it. I really like uh, Matthew McConaughey in that movie. I think he did a fantastic job. Um, and then Jessica Chastain as Murph, I thought did really well too. So, yeah. Yeah. So Interstellar, 
you, you talk about an ambitious concept. Yeah. Like, I mean, Nolan is 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 a. I wouldn't say, quite say he's a master at ambitious concept, but he's like the one guy who's just like, I'm just gonna go for it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't really yeah. matter. He's like, I'm just going for it. And like to me, Interstellar was the was the one where I was like, probably the whole way through, I was just like, how's he gonna pull this off? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like because it's it's so out there. I was just like, I don't understand exactly how he's gonna draw this whole thing together. Because I mean, you're talking about uh, this father who who's going on this expedition. And, you know, it ends up costing him pretty much his entire life and his entire time with his daughter. And he he gets to he goes into space and he goes to places that, you know, we've never heard of and, and, and experiences things, we, you know, we never even thought were possible. And it's such a unique and out there and ambitious concept. It's so large that you think like, how do you solve this in a like two hour and 20 minute movie? And yes, you have that very weird, very like straightforward monologue that kind of does some of the heavy lifting, I guess. But like, it's to me, it is the emotion of this movie. Like to me, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be in the minority. I usually am. But uh, this is my favorite Nolan movie. This mm. is hands down my favorite Nolan movie. I just think the ambition and the emotion is all so satisfied in this movie. Like, and then visually, it's probably his most resplendent film I've, I think I've ever seen. Like, there's some visuals to this movie. I don't care. Like he did some cool stuff in Tenet. Yeah, sure. He did some great stuff in in um, in his new movie, but like here, I think there's some visuals in this that are stunning, that are breathtaking, that really contribute to the vastness of this film. And to me, that just spoke to me. So like, on top of the visuals, on top of the score, on top of the emotionality. It all just worked in tandem for me for, with this movie. That's I, I, so. It's not my favorite, but I don't want to. Again, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to say that you're, <laughs> this is a terrible choice for your number one, right? Because all movies are subjective and they're going to affect you in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the ambition and the scope and the way that he. I think they mostly reserved the CGI for the black hole rendering stuff, which it's a space yeah. movie. You have to do that. The visuals, I think, stand visually as a movie. I think it stands on par with 2001, with uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris, with Alien, you know, with Star Wars. It creates this world. And that's the other thing. By not relying on CG and shooting on actual locations, um, even the water planet, I think they, they found like, what is it, like a glacier, a glacier run where they found like an actual that was like knee deep in water or something like that. So mm -hmm. they, it feels like not like a set. Nothing in this movie feels like a set. They built the farm, right? They built the actual ship. So they were like uh, the Endeavor or whatever that they're on feels like a flight simulator because it would move back and forth to give it that realism and help the performances, right? I think the scope of it, I think when there are visuals, like the part where um, 
because the whole movie they talk about how good of a pilot he is. So you don't really see that until the, the docking scene, right? Where oh, he's oh. able to spin it. And that's visually, it was like you kind of lift out of your seat when you watch stuff like that. And again, Nolan, when he can hit those highs, that's where he's, I think, masterful because no other director, I think, is hitting those ethereal kind of feeling, uh, visual, visually resplendent. Uh, moments like like uh, like I said, he's he's hitting those like nobody else, and so visually, I agree with you. It's it's just something else. And then obviously having the, I think Zimmer did an interview where Nolan talked to him and said, "What if I were to give you a story, just a brief story, or write a paper and have you write music score to it? How would you do that?" And Zimmer said, "Well, give it to me." And he, so he gave him a story about fathers and sons and family. And Zimmer, I don't know the the cue that he wrote, but he wrote a cue and came back and gave it to Nolan. And Nolan was like, "Well, now I have to make the movie." And Zimmer was like, well, no, 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 no. What, what movie are you talking about? I don't even know. And so what Nolan did is he said, what you did is you gave me the heart of the movie. Now I know the the heart of where the center of this movie is supposed to come from. Because Zimmer wrote the theme as kind of a, an ode to his son, right? And so that oh. gave, it informed the movie. And so, yeah, the emotion is there. Uh, and definitely there's, and a lot of it, except for that one part, I think that it really nails a lot of that stuff for me. Right. And so, yeah, I can't be the guy to tell you that you're wrong for having this as your top Nolan movie. I can't do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just, I, I love it. <laughs> I, I truly love it. And like, um, part of it is this cast. Like, number one, I'm an Anne Hathaway, like, apologist, stand, whatever you want to call it. Like, like I've been. Uh, in love with Aaron Hathaway since the Princess Diaries. So, like, <laughs> anything she does is gold in my eyes. Um, so, there's that. Matthew McConaughey, I've never really been a big fan of. Mm. Like, uh, I saw Dallas Buyers Club, which he won the Oscar for. He was excellent. He was excellent in that. I thought he was even better here. Um, and, yeah, I thought he brought such, I mean, I'm a father, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm a father of a little girl. So the idea of being lost in space and not being able and losing pretty much her entire life, hmm. just the thought of that, like tears me, tears my heart out. Like this is just the worst thing you could do to a parent. So I'm like, so maybe I'm biased <laughs> right? in that, in that aspect. But like that's what kind of put this up for me is just like that would that would brutally devastate. So, <laughs> but mm. on top of that, killer, just killer, killer visuals and a killer score. Hans Zimmer, man, like oh my god, masterful, absolutely masterful. McConaughey's never been. I'm with you. I'm not a. I wasn't a fan of him. Maybe until Dallas Buyers Dallas Buyers Club or this movie, because mm-hmm. I think he just had one note that he played. Other than Rain of Fire, he just had. I'm the I'm the good looking Southern guy. I'm gonna talk mm-hmm. like this, and you're gonna love me no matter what. And it's like, I you're not performing like you're just a, you're a persona, right? And right. I think sitting down with this. I don't know if it's Nolan because I felt the same way about DiCaprio. I thought DiCaprio was very mm. childish and boyish. And Inception was the first movie where I was like, oh, he's a man. Like, I can see mm. him. Like, he's mm-hmm. become something else. Right. And McConaughey's the same way. He's thinking and he's living this. He's living coup and he is this person. And he's just, I don't know. His performance is, is on a different level than anything I'd seen before because he's just 
the thinking man. You can see him processing things, and you can see him, like I said, living that character and existing as Coop, as opposed to just delivering lines, a dialogue mm-hmm. delivery system, right? So I don't know if it's Nolan kind of inspiring people um, to to give these great performances, but yeah, it's it has to they have to tie in together, I think. And then I'm with you too. It's like Anne Hathaway, Ella Enchanted. I've never finished. Because there's a certain point, because I'm not engaging in that movie, where I'm like, all I'm doing is I'm staring at Anne Hathaway, because she looks like that. <laughs> and when I watched it with my wife the first time, I'm like, I can't finish this, because I'm I'm just gawking at her, and I, I don't feel right. <laughs> you know, watching, I, I, like, sitting here with you, I don't feel right doing that. But then, you know, she comes back, and I think what broke me was, like, Get Smart, where I thought she was a funny comedic actress. And I'm like, yeah, right. she can be attractive, and she can be a good actress. I, that sounds reductive, especially after the movie we just talked about. Right. But, She's she's great. Like she's every she brings her A game to everything, and, and I appreciate that. And then you've obviously got your stalwarts like John Lithgow or, um, uh, or Ellen Kane, Burstyn. Yeah, Ellen Burstyn in here. Casey Affleck shows up in here. Chastain, Zach, like you talked about, she's just great. It's to, um, not Toby McGuire, who's Topher Grace shows up and uh-huh. has you know a good role. And so yeah, the performances, yeah, they're not to be faulted either. So. Uh, <laughs> there's one moment in the beginning of the movie that I have to talk about, which again, as a parent, just brought me so much joy and laughter. And it's when um, <laughs> he goes to her school for like a yep. parent teacher conference. I'm already and smiling. Like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. And like, they're, they're like trying to tell her like, oh, what she did wrong or why, you know, it was like that. He's like, yeah, I'm a, he's like, I'm a astronaut. Like th- that's not wrong. And like they're like, oh, sorry, we don't teach it like that. And like, so he comes out. She's like, how'd it go? He goes, I got you. Smith. <laughs> 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 oh, like, yeah, that's me as dad. Like purely, like, <laughs> like, nah. You don't tear like, down my daughter's greatness. You don't exactly. Get <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Get up, get up out of here. No, like, uh so again, just so many things I love about this movie. Well, you could see him seething when they're telling the moon landings never happen. I'm like, what? Like, what's happening? Like, this is me. And so you can just see him. And when he goes, like, you need to punish her. And he's like, well, this is what I think I'm going to do. She's in a baseball phase. There's a baseball game where there's going to be popcorn and treats. I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's so great. But then, you know, there. The whole first section of Interstellar is what sells you on that emotion. It's the grounded stuff. And then when it, he leaves her, right, and they don't oh. get to say their proper goodbye, and he's just crying as you see them, and then it just does the countdown, and then it cuts to, you know, them in space. It becomes – and then you have to readjust because, yeah, there's the metaphysics um, I think Kit Thorne, who's the advisor, was like, we can't do anything Hollywood. This needs to be as realistic as possible. And so it takes yeah. your brain because you don't have that – attachment to the science of what's happening. So it, it mm-hmm. you kind of have to readjust and get, but then it sells you on it. It convinces you of it by the end where you're on an ice planet with Matt Damon and you feel like you're on an ice planet with Matt Damon. It doesn't oh. feel like processed at all. And that again, man, as even though this isn't my top Nolan, how do you, how hard is it to sell that verisimilitude? Of, of, oh. of the, the the feeling of actually being there. How hard is it to sell that? And it's because of all these tricks that Nolan has in his bag that's doing that, right? And just like you said, Phoenix, the part that, that broke me 
was when they're on the water planet and they get back up and they're like, how long were we down there? And he's oh. like, the, uh, I can't remember the, the, their other assistant's name, but he goes 23 years. Oh. And my heart sunk because there are days where I don't, sometimes I go a day without seeing my kids because I get home maybe at seven o'clock and they're doing their own thing. And then I'm in bed because I have to get yeah. ready for the next day and I don't see them. And that breaks my heart, not seeing them for one day. How would it be? 23 years just that one line of dialogue and again you don't need to sell it you don't cut to a shot of McConaughey going 23 years that's child that's a whole childhood I miss baseball games I miss romance like they don't have to do that because you get it in just the one line and yeah. when his son shows him you're a granddad in the video and it's like oh or oh. when he he breaks up or, or the wife dies or, or they separate or whatever his, his, his uh, daughter-in-law or whatever you weren't there to help your son go through any of that. Any of that, yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> when <laughs> when people say Nolan is emotionless, point them to that scene. Like uh, I don't understand that. That point that them just to this. <laughs> yeah, I also like the twist when they get to the ice pan. And they find out that the whole plan of them going up there was never the plan at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, when that part, like, when they revealed that part, I was, like, pissed for him. Like, I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> like, he's wasted all these years missing out on things for something that was never going to happen. Yeah. What kills me, too, is, like, that scene, um, and this, this is just smart directing and just an, an incredible story. You know, the scene where they're on the that water planet, right? And, and I believe they're warned beforehand, like, hey, like, like even like, I think they say like an hour here is like a year yeah. or something like yeah, yeah. that. And like, we see them on the planet and they're, you know, doing their thing and then they, they get, you know, ransacked or whatever. And it's like, it, it's a 20 minute scene, maybe. And so like... It's just a quick, the fact that that scene there is so quick. And then the very next scene is like, yeah, you guys have been gone for 20 odd years. And it's like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> like it's such a smart and just vicious kind of contrast uh, of, of what you lose, you know, in that time. Uh, I do think it's interesting too. I, I don't think these two movies were meant to be similar um, but they came out one right after another. So like Interstellar came out in 2014. And then right after that, Ridley Scott did The Martian, mm. um, you know, which is another movie kind of about another you rescue know, like, Matt Damon, movie. rescue, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and yeah. this guy who's stranded on a, you know, on, I think he's on Mars or whatever. Um, and there's, there's time loss in that. And, and, you know, like he's on there for, I think a couple of years and they're in space for another couple of years. And it's just like, it's a very interesting dynamic too. And the Martian got way more love than interstellar, which I don't understand, but okay. Uh, <laughs> even though I love the Martian, I think that movie's great. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, like it just, it just was funny to me because I'm like, these are kind of similar movies and they both kind of do the same thing. Uh, but like the emotionality is, is there, it is there in both films, but I think it is really there for, for interstellar and you get so much out of it. 
again, like I said, I'm biased. I'm a parent. I'm a parent of a daughter. So there's way more things that I attach to Interstellar for that. And I think it was yeah. uh, Phoenix. It was every hour's equivalent to seven years. Mm. Ouch. <laughs> And then also, if you tie in the music score, I think Zimmer said that, could you hear the tick like of a clock on the soundtrack? Every mm. click that you hear equals one day on Earth. So every time you oh. hear a click in the score, it begins, that's equal to one day. Wow. That is some intricate work, man. <laughs> I got to go back just to rewatch that scene now. <laughs> I gotta well, listen to that listen yeah. to the score again. I gotta say name. too, like Phoenix, you said that uh, you don't know why the Martian got higher praise than this. I I think I know exactly why. I think because Interstellar is trying to tackle concepts that aren't easy, mm-hmm. and the Martian is just a very. What I was impressed about the Martian is just a very easy to watch movie. It's very entertaining. And it's 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 just that entertainment. I don't know if it challenges you as much as Interstellar. And I think Ooh. again, people have their knives out for Nolan. It's like when you're trying to do these giant um, uh, metaphysic ideas and metaphors and all this stuff, and these higher brain things. I think critics and audiences kind of reject that or rebel against that because they don't they don't want to feel like they're being talked down to. I don't know. I, what I'm basically saying is that I think the Martian got higher praise because it's a much easier movie to watch. This movie requires a lot of emotional investment and uh, some you know brain thought. I don't know. I think that really has a lot to do with why one was more popular than the other or more revered and, than the other. And just like I said, Nolan's ambition, like he, he really went for it when it came to just incredible, like scope and, 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 yeah, the vastness of these concepts, and like you could argue, like what's what's the what's the phrase? Uh, you know, shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Yeah. That's literally interstellar, <laughs> like literally interstellar. Like, yeah, it may be a big brain concept, but there's so much good around it that hey, even if you miss, you're still in the good. And I think to me, that's just excellent. Wouldn't you guys rather have a movie that tries to do too much instead of tries to do too little? Yeah. Well, yes, tries to do too much and is still good at it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like sometimes some, some films, they do too much and it's not, they don't, they don't have enough for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's, and it's, it's like, yeah, I see what you're going for, but you didn't put enough into every aspect to make it all work. Would or that be like someone fall for you, Phoenix? Oh no. <laughs> Moonfall <laughs> is very much all that. <laughs> a- well no, but I'm saying they did try to cram a lot. Yeah, they did that yeah. movie. And yeah, so yeah, I guess that would fit it. Like they crammed a lot into it and like there was not enough to make any of it work. <laughs> there's a, there's like, a difference between throwing everything but the kitchen sink filmmaking versus uh, your your um, ambition like is like it doesn't quite match your reach. You know, there's a difference between right. that. And I so think, I the, think I think the closest example to that would be Nolan himself with Tenet. Um, you know, saying Tenet has a lot, very big brain concept, and you know some some would argue that there isn't enough for it for it to make it work. I personally like Tenet. It's not, it's not up there with like like some of my the, the best or strongest in Nolan. But yeah, I do think there is some stuff there. It is way more ambitious than what it accomplishes. That is that is true. 
but this one has the emotion, the thematics and the emotional grounding of it. Cause it ends, it's about human connection, right? That's why Coop goes into space to save his family, to save the planet, basically to save human, the human race or whatever, keep it going at the end. When he finally sees uh, uh, Murph again, and she's like, you know, you I don't want you to be here. Like you, sh- a child should not live less, uh, you know, a parent should not outlive his child or the child, oh. right? You need to go out there and you've got a chance at a human connection. So go find Brandt, right? Mm-hmm. Go, go to her and find her and help. And that's juxtaposed with the stuff where they, they go and because it's a uh, man, they, they go to rescue him. And he's like, oh, none of this is, inhab- is inhabitable. Like nobody's going to be able to live here. I just wanted to come and get rescued. And then that mm-hmm. scene is juxtaposed with the, the, the uh, Dr. Brandt, the elder Brandt saying, oh, that wasn't the plan at all. Right. So it's, it's about, you know, man's inhumanity to man in a way. I know. Uh, Nolan connected this to Treasure of Sierra Madre, where it's like every you're just trying to do self-preservation. But it's what Coop and Murph and uh, and Hathaway Brent, what they learn is it's not just about that. And yeah, I'm going to keep going back to it. I mean, her saying the love thing, it's putting into words what I get from the movie anyway. I don't need you to monologue for two minutes telling me what the point of the movie is, where I can see you doing that through your actions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's the human connection that really, yeah, it's ambitious, but that's what grounds it and makes it more relatable. And, but uh, again, like you're, if your knives are going to be out, you're going to see flaws everywhere. And so you're not able to really meet the movie at its level. You're trying to make the movie meet it, you know, come to your level instead of meeting in the middle. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it was just a weird time for for his career, and and this movie didn't get a fair shake, and it and it deserved one because I I personally, I'm always gonna sing its praises. Hmm. Um, it's the it's the one that really kind of spoke to me, obviously for the obvious reasons. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap this up. Final score for Interstellar, Zach. What do you got? Uh, I gave Interstellar five stars. Nice. <laughs> Darren, what about you? I'm sorry, Phoenix. <laughs> this, this, uh, I'm going to have to go three and a half on this. It's just, uh, I think it doesn't quite reach the levels of some other movies, and there are some parts that are really silly, but I, a lot of the ambition really works for me. A lot of the emotion really works for me. I can't quite give it a four because there are other Nolan movies that I like a little bit more than this, but that ambition is, is everything. The scope is everything, and the emotional parts that work are everything. The last... 20 minutes or whatever from when he's saved from the Tesseract and just I, I watched that ending over and over again because I think it's just perfect just the way that it nails all its final things but yeah there are just some bumps in the middle that keep it from being a four for me so uh, it's not, I'm not saying it's bad and that's a three and a half I think is giving you what what I think <laughs> I, I just you know. I'm like the scope of this movie is so wide and so vast like I can't I can't even settle on anything less than five stars uh, I like the ambition is amazing. I think the visuals are stunning. The acting's incredible. Hans Zimmer is a legend. That score <laughs> is insanely good. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I vibe with this movie entirely. And it is the only Nolan movie that has broken me, like shattered me to pieces. So like That's... that, that right there, I can't, I can't escape from. So. 
five can stars I, solidly. Can I ask you guys a question? Like, I don't, I've listened to enough of your story. I don't think this has ever happened, but have you ever had somebody give a rating and then say, I don't understand why you guys are giving it five stars? Like, there's, you shouldn't be mm-hmm. giving it that much. Have you had people mm-hmm. that have done that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's wrong. <laughs> like, what you guys saying that it's a five star movie, it's like, you're not going to get an argument from me. And the mm-hmm. Phoenix and, the way you're describing it is like, yeah, it's a five star in your book. Like, why wouldn't it be a five star in your book? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the the thing we haven't touched on is the Zimmer score playing on an organ. Um, mm. I think it was like the Harrison and Harrison organ in the Temple Church in London. It, it obviously that's, that's in a church. Yeah. You're in space. It's giving you the you're closer to God, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the heavens. And so having the organ play into that idea, you know, the 12 astronauts that went through the um black hole the first time can be uh, you know likened to the 12 apostles you know that kind of thing it's it's got this otherworldly i keep using that word but it's got this extra level of oh yeah this is like a gospel movie in a way right but done in like a sci-fi perspective and yeah that's that's to be admired man like you give it five stars like mm-hmm. give it one star i don't know like i, I can't yeah. tell you what you're how you're going to respond to a movie and like like we talked about, movies are very subjective, and I love that you guys, the movie affected you in that way. I know. So I just I wanted to say that. Yeah. All right. So pretty solid, like, between the two movies, Little Women and Interstellar. Uh, uh, five stars across the board, three and a half, but it's basically a five star. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that when you're talking about Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan, um, right now, I would argue two of our greatest our tourist directors uh, working right now. So uh, they've Especially always looking done... at the box office now, right? Their latest yeah. two. That proves it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've Please. always done stellar work, and it's impressive that uh, they're still doing incredible work. Um, so... That being said, we're going to move on now to what's good. What's good, what's good, what's good. What's good, what's good, what's good. Uh, Darren, what have you watched? What would you recommend? What is has been good for you, sir? Watched a movie called Where, Where the Crawdads Sing. Have you guys seen oh, that? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And what, what I think, you know, it's a coming-of-age story. It's based on a novel, all that. It's very pretty to look at. It's very sincere. It's got, uh, you know, great performances. Um, shoot, the name of the um, um, actress in that. Uh, oh, the, the main star, uh, uh, Daisy Edgar, Edgar Jones. Daisy she does Edgar a great Jones, job. Yes. You've got um, uh, David Strathairn's in there. Garrett Dillahunt's in there. Every, it's, it's a sincere movie. It's a very pretty movie. And so from that level, it's it's entertaining. Um, I don't know if it's a full on recommendation for me, though, because I feel like it was kind of inert dramatically Whoa. because. Okay, so it basically comes down to the scene where Strathairn is defending her in court, and you realize that the um, the other side, their whole thing is, oh, she took a necklace. The necklace was missing from this guy's neck, and so obviously she's the one that murdered him. Like that's their oh. whole case, really. And then the Strathairn character gets up and goes, his whole his whole summation at the end is. 
come on, guys. We're being too hard on this girl. And then the jury's like, you're right. <laughs> and then, so that's what I mean by inert. It's like there's not really anything huge that happened. There's a lot of great character stuff. And then at the end, it turns out that she, you know, spoilers for people, but it turns out that she is guilty, like the twist. And it, it doesn't really build to that. It's just, oh, we're going to throw this in to the last five minutes. Like she really did this. I don't know. I just thought that it was very pretty to look at. It was very sincere. It was very well made. But at the end of the day, it just, it didn't have a lasting impression, I think, because it didn't really, the, the, what the ambition wasn't there enough. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I would definitely recommend it as a. Oh, it's it's not as bad. Like it didn't. I don't think it got. Would it have like a thirty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that? It's not that bad. <laughs> so if you're gonna want to watch a movie, like yeah, put this on. It's like two hours and it's fine. Like it, it'll, you know, it does a lot of things. And my daughter enjoyed it, so that's that's why I recommend it. But yeah, where the crowd ads thing was the the newest thing I saw this week. Zach, what about you, man? Uh, so for me, I uh, watched a couple of the Studio Ghibli movies recently. I've never mm. seen them before. So I'm going to recommend Spirited Away. Um, I know it's like a classic. <laughs> but yeah, I hadn't seen it personally. So maybe there's some of you out there who haven't, you know, delved into like that world or like the anime kind of movies. So um, Spirited Away was definitely just beautiful and awesome to watch. Nice. Miyazaki's definitely if you if you're not into anime, like watch his stuff, and that's that's what anime can do, <laughs> right? Yeah. So he, uh, Miyazaki's the goat. Uh, <laughs> um, so I finally, I I can't believe that it took me this long to watch this movie. I'm kind of embarrassed, but I finally saw the Truman Show. Oh, um, Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen it. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Like, we even did an episode on it on Nostalgia Cast. This, so, so watch it and then listen to that episode. Yeah. Truman yeah, Show is so, awesome. Yeah, Truman Show was great, but all I could think of afterwards is like, I would be furious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I would be furious and I would probably be hermetic if not like, you know, just. <laughs> suicidal like because i'm like everyone knows your face like for 30 years they've been watching your life and your friends your family no one is real it's the most disgusting uh (laughs) like the most obscene uh just abuse i think i've ever seen ever seen in a movie like the gaslighting is on like over 9,000. Like it's disgusting. <laughs> so like, like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> like the movie itself. Oh, so good. Like Jim Carrey has never, well, maybe he has, but that's definitely one of his better roles. Yes. Um, sir. and it's such a great, great concept and a great movie. Um, but oh, all I could think of is, oh, Oh, I'd be sick. I'd be sick. <laughs> oh, like, ah, uh, it's disgusting. Zach, are we spoiling I'm, anything? Do you at least know what the Truman Show is? <laughs> yeah, we're not no, spoiling yeah, anything. I, for you, I right? have a friend who t- kind of gave me a synopsis okay. of like what it is. So. Okay. Well, it gives away the whole premise in the trailer, and then you just kind of see how it plays out, which which is great. But yeah, that movie, guys, like when it came out. It, it predicted the whole, I think before the real world came out, like that, that yeah. was the Truman show. So it predicted yeah, basically everything, the reality TV boom. And it's, oh, oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and instead of the reality TV nowadays, people are willingly going into that. Truman had no idea. Like he's not. Yeah. And then what is he going to do? 
Right. <laughs> you know what it's I, like, I was thinking Isn't it like live streaming, basically? Yep, yep exactly. Yeah. It predicted live so many things. Oh. And it comments on so <laughs> many things. And that, Phoenix, I'm glad you finally got this. You know, we all have these little blind spots. As long as right. you're able to come around and watch them, awesome. Like, don't, yeah. like, watch these movies. That last line, <laughs> so funny, and it's so emblematic, you know, of the, of the times today with little women, how people just don't get the point. Interstellar, like, too ambitious for its own good. It's like, what are you missing? I, I don't understand how you're missing. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, great final line. Zach, get on that. Get on the Truman Show. <laughs> Absolutely. It definitely, definitely watch it. We got to cover it at some point. All right. So that's Truman Show for me, Spirited Away for Zach, and Where the Crawdads Sing for Darren. Uh, let us know if you guys uh, checked out any of those movies and let us know what you think. Um, all right. So now... <laughs> it is that time finally for the first time in season four we have our first cold word of the season my mom always said life was like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get you're going to need a bigger boat It was my code word, and this is going to be so great to see if these guys can crack it. Uh, your code word was sequel. Hmm. Your movie took place between 1990 and 1995. Your supporting actor had a re- regular recurring role on a hit TV series in the 1980s. And uh, your cast is entirely, almost entirely different from the first movie. So... Darren, you are our guest and we love you. So you get the privilege of going first and I'm so excited to see what you came up with. What do you have for the cohort? Well, I'm glad you still love me after our interstellar conversation. Like three and a half. I'm glad you're some still in your Anyway, so the, again, I say this every time. Like, this is a shot in the dark, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I, this is the best I can come up with. And when I, when I get them right, it's like, Okay, <laughs> I guess I guess right, but I'm gonna go with okay. I'm, I'm gonna build up to it. So it's a sequel. You're mm-hmm. saying that the cast mostly doesn't match. You're saying that one of the supporting actors was in a hit TV show. We just talked about Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was a mainstay of In Living Color, which is one of my yes, favorite TV shows. His, oh, I love In Living his, Color. His <laughs> Fire Marshal Bill or the Vera yeah. de Milo, or there's even an outtake because Damon Wayans played this bum. And he, the, the running gag was he'd take out a jar of pickles. It was supposed to be like a double, like he shits in a jar, right? But it's pickles, but you get the joke. Right, and right. there is an outtake where it's Wayans and Carrie trying to outgross each other. And Carrie opens that jar of pickles and starts eating one of the pickles in character. And it's like, oh, it's so funny. And he's, he was, again, he was like the, what, the one white guy of that awesome cast. And he, <laughs> he held his own, right? And so, yeah, yeah so in Living Color. And then obviously, if you're talking a sequel, I'm going to go with Batman Forever because he was in that one. Mm-hmm. The cast is mostly the same, is mostly different, except for Michael Goff and Pat Hingle. And uh, again, I'm going to go with that one. Batman. All right. Beautiful guess. Beautiful yeah. guess. All right. Zach. Don't be influenced by Darren. Make your own <laughs> mind. What are you going with? <laughs> I, I actually went with Batman Returns, <laughs> which is 1992, so it fits the timeline. And it has Danny DeVito, 
who was mm-hmm. in Taxi in a recurring role he was was. Like throughout the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I went with Batman Returns um, <laughs> for my movie. And it made, like he said, it mainly has an all different cast from the movie before it, which is the original movie, Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for there's a few, I think there's not many who return. So. <laughs> Mine was Batman Returns. Not many return for Batman Returns. That's funny. Isn't it crazy? Like our, our minds kind of go to the same place, but not really. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I love about these things, man. It's like you you kind of see the different mindsets. I love these code words. <laughs> oh man, I love these choices that you guys came up with, and they are fantastic. Well, they're and not. They right. are oh. so. Close. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but to be fair, I made this one difficult because I don't think anyone else has seen this movie but me. <laughs> and it is a movie that I love too, too much. Uh, it is from 1991. Uh, the, your actor who was in a TV show in the 1980s is Massage Taylor, who was in Designing Women. Uh, your cast is completely different because oh, no. originally, <laughs> yeah, originally you had uh, uh, Andrew McCarthy and Kim oh, no. in this. <laughs> so <laughs> your movie is <laughs> Mannequin Two on the on moon. The moon. Oh, sh- <laughs> oh shit, man! Yes, it is an awful, awful, awful movie. But it is literally one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I love that you guys. I love your choices. They are great. I'm laughing so hard because nobody brings up Mannequin Two on the move. Whoa! Never. That's Mannequin. how deep this show goes. That's. <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times. Oh my god! It's an, an embarrassing amount of times, but I is this is this Christy Swanson? Is this Christy is this... Swanson? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. They changed the entire cast. Uh... Christy Swanson, William Ragsdale, Harry Kaiser. Stuart Pank- Franken, who's a fantastic character actor who we never yeah. see uh, much of, so he's fantastic. The only returning star was Massage Taylor because uh, he was in the first one. But yes, Mannequin 2. Uh, I it's love the it. New, it's the new MCU, the Mannequin Cinematic Universe. I don't know why they didn't come up with more of these. They really should have done like five more of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you could do one for a girl from the old west. You could do a girl from. <laughs> you like you could keep going. There's so many different ways to keep going in this. Oh my do gosh. a chick from like 70s London. Like it'd be fantastic. Missed uh, opportunity. Missed opportunities. <laughs> Mannequin too. You heard it here on Film Cove, probably for the first time in decades. <laughs> But that was your co-word, Mannequin 2. If you have not seen it, I highly recommend it. You will blame me, however, <laughs> for the torture that I put you through for all for all 95 minutes. But <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. It is the cheesiest, corniest, terrible movie you've ever seen. I swear to God. But I love it to pieces. So... Yeah, hmm. you should always know when when it's my code word. Just go crazy. Yeah, 
Let's go crazy, guys. But there you have it. Mannequin 2 wins the day. <laughs> and I'm on the board for season four. Wins. Darren, Darren <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, man. I can't thank you enough. I love it every time. Let uh, everybody know where they can find you, sir. Again, I'm only on X or Twitter or whatever the hell they call it. I'll be on there until there's nobody left to interact with. Uh, thank Kevin that you guys are still on there. So again, at NostalgiaCast, uh, this season we're just finishing up as we record this, our uh, 90s Palooza season. Again, Phoenix, which you were a part of. And that was a great conversation talking about ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you're not waking anybody up this time i like that so guys seriously this I, I can't every conversation it's like oh these are guys that i've been to high school with i've known these guys since elementary it's just what it feels like so thank you for having me on i feel as your season opener guest i was like oh i'm getting kind of teary-eyed like i can't I, I love talking to these guys so thank you for bringing me on even though we weren't able to talk about the two movies that we were going to talk about i think that the movies we talked about again wonderful conversation yeah uh, i love i love chatting with you guys even though we're missing a guest <laughs> uh, and i'll have to talk to him eventually yeah <laughs> zach where can everybody find you sir uh you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at zach sneath that is z-a-c-h-s-n-e-a-t-h and you guys can find me on letterbox at z sneaks that is z-s-n-e-a-k-s and as always, guys, you can find me on Twitter at I'm Reviews one That's the number one. And on Letterboxd, under PA Clouden. And as always, guys, please follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and now on threads at FilmCodePod. And we will see you guys next week. We are out of here. Peace. <laughs>